Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Trek. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, we are doing a two podcast week this week. Uh, I will be traveling next week, so we're just going to do another three-team preview here, and then in two weeks we'll uh, do another stint of uh, off-season previews. But we are on the cusp of the NBA Finals, so I figured why not talk real quick about the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat, what their rosters look like, any financial nuggets that you may have that you want to talk about. Um, so what do you have? Anything interesting? Yeah, I think the the real kind of interesting thing to look at with these two teams is just how their rosters were built. Um, you know, Generally, you build a team through the draft, via trade, or through free agency, of course. You know, there's waiver claims and things like that, too. Um, but for the most part, you know, that's how teams are, are built is through those methods. And they took very different paths to, to get here. Denver is one of the more, uh, I'll say, draft-heavy trades. Um, and when I say draft, we I, I include when you trade for a player's draft rights in that, right? Because to, to me, that's essentially the same sort of thing. So they have seven players on their roster that they acquired through um, uh, draft through the draft or trading their trading for the draft rights. Um, that's one of the higher numbers in the league. The uh, team that actually leads the league at that, maybe no surprise to anybody is the Memphis Grizzlies at 10. And then the Golden State Warriors have nine uh, such players. So that, then there's a couple teams with eight and then they get the Nuggets at seven. Miami, conversely, one of the lower numbers of players that they acquired through the draft. A big chunk of that is because they've traded a lot of draft picks over the years, but they only have three players on their roster that they acquired through the draft. Then you go into trades. They're about equal there. Denver had acquired four players via trade. Uh, Miami acquired three players via trade. And then free agency is almost the inverse of the draft. The Nuggets, four players that they acquired through free agency. And the Miami Heat, nine players through free agency. Now, a lot of the Heat's free agent players are those kind of undrafted guys that they they kind of built up. So the, the Max Struces and Gabe Vincents and um, Caleb Martin came to them a little bit later, but those kind of undervalued signings, they've done a wonderful job there of uh, developing those guys in their system. But just thought, thought it was kind of interesting to, to look at that makeup of the two teams. Denver, you know, half their roster came through the draft. Miami, roughly half theirs through free agency. And it's just another, uh, you know, I guess, proof that there's no one way to build a successful team, right? You can can build that up any you know sort of way you you need to to get there yeah 100 percent. and i love the difference in the the roster construction just because like you just said there's no one way and and when a team or teams try to cookie cutter another team for what they've done uh it, it, it takes away because sometimes it's unique to that franchise that front office on how they see Maybe they're able to develop players slightly different than another team and just a different mindset. So I, I'm I'm excited to see the difference here. And I know on the broadcast with Miami, they keep honing in on the undrafted points off the bench and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It, it's great to see. It, it shows that if you are the right player that does not get drafted, there is still a possibility for you to land on a team if it's the right team from a developmental standpoint, and you can work your way up. 
Absolutely. And I think it's that's part of why I think Miami has felt so confident in trading so many draft picks away, especially on the first rounders, because then they feel like, hey, we can get into uh, getting these guys, um, you know, did, did drafting, you know, did developing them through, uh, you know, the undrafted process or just, you know, through their G League. They make some of the best use of the G League, as any team does in the league. I mean, they've had number of successes come through their G League system. So, you know, we're really, really, uh, you know, interesting stuff uh, there with them. Now, I will say two trades. We count trades, even sign-in trades count as a trade because that's what it ultimately is, is is a trade. So you, you could even, you know, if you really wanted to get nitpicky, we could say 11 of their guys came for, through free agency. But, you know, we do count them that way. But, yeah, just just really kind of, um, you know, fun to, to go back through it and look, you know, how did these two teams uh, get built and, and come together as they get ready to meet in the finals? One metric I like looking at is uh, the top three active cap hits a combined per team and the Miami Heat are seventh and the Denver Nuggets are eighth, but they're almost identical with their top three at just over $96 million. So I, I, I like seeing the top three for a multitude of reasons, but uh, you know, it goes back to the big three for sure, but it shows that, you know, they're, they're not paying out of their league way up top and, and not producing, but they're, they're not really low. They're sort of in the upper middle there. So I'm interested to see where those teams uh, go financially from here. We know Denver's got a lot locked up, but you know, 96 million, both of these in the, in the finals, it's just kind of interesting how those numbers flush out. Yeah. I, I think too, if, if the heat had lost in the playing tournament and it's easy to forget now is we're only you know days away from the finals um that they were they, they were in a spot where they were down with three minutes to go in the playing tournament in the elimination game of the playing tournament so that was you know just something that i think we've collectively kind of forgotten because of how great they've played over the last month and a half here to make it to the finals. But you know, that that's, you know, but we would have been talking about, they got to get rid of that Kyle Lowry contract and what a mess that is. And you know, what happens with Tyler hero's deal? Is that still, you know, your viable contract and all these things. And all of a sudden, so many of those concerns are wiped away just because they've, they've played really, really well uh, here over the last couple of months. They do still have concerns. Gabe Vincent. I was just going to say, there's still, yep. there are still definite concerns oh, yeah. on that Miami. Roster yep. moving yeah, into next we're, we're pretty far away from doing their offseason preview, but just you know, Gabe Vincent's a free agent, Max Struess is a free agent. Those guys are coming off minimum contracts, looking to get paid for the first time in their careers. So that that's just the kind of things that they're facing. They're going to have to figure out, but but much more to come on them. Uh, you know, in in sometime within the next uh, couple weeks here as the finals will wrap up. Yeah, absolutely. Our focus today is going to be on the next three. Uh, Playoff teams here, off-season previews. We've got the Sacramento Kings, the Phoenix Suns, and the New York Knicks. So we're going to start with the Sacramento Kings here. This team, I I really like where they're going for a team that for years we've scratched our heads on what is this franchise doing. This is a fun team. Uh, the front office, the coaching staff, I think they're doing things the right way. They made the trade for Sabonis, which uh, is a – a win-win in my book for Indiana and, and mm-hmm. Sacramento. But 
I think they they need a a, a big guy to complement Sabonis that is sort of that uh, Stephen Adams, not afraid to get down and dirty in the paint, uh, if you know what I mean. Is that your sense for this team where they need to really focus this offseason? Yeah. I, so one of the things I get worried about is I've seen so much of, you know, they got to fix their defense. They need a rim protector along with Sabonis, you know, and all those things. And I think one, we forget he played alongside Miles Turner, who is, you know, kind of the prototype for rim protecting three point shooting bigs. And it just didn't really work great. Um, you know, teams were able to, as teams went small, they were able to then pick on one of the two of them in matchups and it never really came together in fruition. And I think one thing that this was a lesson the New York Knicks taught me a couple of years ago. Um, they were a really special defensive team and they got into the playoffs. They, they got beat by the Atlanta Hawks and everybody said they got to fix their offense. They need to add more offense to this roster. So they went out, they got Evan Fournier, they got Kemba Walker, and it was like, all right, now they've got the offensive firepower. But what that did was that took away from the how special the defense was. And the, the offense didn't get enough better to offset how much the defense fell off. And in the Kings' case this year, it's almost the opposite, right? They are an incredible offensive team. And they're, they're you know as much a machine as anybody with still a lot of upside to get better because I think – you know, Sabonis and Fox are great engines, but Keegan Murray is going to continue to develop and come along. Uh, Kevin Herter got comfortable as the season went along uh, with this team and play, played really well. And then you've still got, you know, we'll get into some of the free agent decisions they need to make, but you've got some good players there. I don't want them to say, we got to fix our defense so much that then it takes away what, what made them a special offensive team. Because if you do that, you better offset it by enough that whatever you drop off offensively, you pick up defensively. Because if you don't, you're not going to be any better. And now you've removed what made you special. Yeah. And as you said, Fox is, Fox is locked up for the long term. Herder's locked up for the long term. They, they do need to keep that offense because yes, defense wins championships, but during the regular season, their offensive production is what got them it's such a high seed in these playoffs. So if they can continue that offensive push, but with this offseason, use their roster spots uh, in a effective manner from the defensive standpoint to bring up their, their defensive, uh, you know, uh, proudness, then I, I think that is a, a definite win-win for the Sacramento team. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, you like you said, they've got the pieces in place, right? You've got a lot of these guys, you know, locked in long-term. You're, you're kind of new core for sure is Fox, Herter, and Murray. And then you do what you can to keep DeMontis Sabonis. Seems like he's very happy there, has found, you know, his home there. Uh, Harrison Barnes, free agent this summer. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with his situation. They've got a couple other key role players that, you're either free agents now or, or heading into free agency. But the good news for the Kings is they've got enough flexibility. Um, even, you know, they're right now sitting at, you know, almost 50 million under the luxury tax line. So 
that should be more than enough room to use the full mid-level, which let's not forget, they increased the spending power of that. That's up to over $12 million for this coming season and re-sign Harrison Barnes and re-sign you know, a couple other guys if they need to, guys like Trey Lyles or maybe Terrence Davis, maybe Chemezi Metu, and just be in a really nice spot uh, going forward. They can really flush this roster out you know, quite well. They, they also, if for some reason they were to lose Barnes, um, in free agency, they could almost flip it the other way and become a cap space team with about $20 million in cap space to spend. So I think, you know, Sacramento's in a great, great spot uh, here, you know, as they, they, you know, look to add and build. They've also got some tradable contracts because Rashawn Holmes, $12 million. He's kind of fallen out of the rotation. He's a guy you could look to maybe move in a trade um, there. So that's, that's a nice piece of salary matching in a trade. So lots of flexibility for Monty McNair uh, in that front office going into this summer. What about Malik Monk? He sort of really showed up in these playoffs and made a name for himself. Uh, Is, is he a player that sticks on this roster or is he a trade piece too, like Holmes? No, I think he's, he's there. I, I think, you know, with him, him and uh, Davian Mitchell, he offsets Mitchell. Uh, you know, Mitchell's just not a great offensive player because he's not a you know consistent enough shooter. But Monk is everything Mitchell is not on that end, while Mitchell is everything Monk isn't on the other end. Monk can also play with Fox and Herder when they go into those kind of three guard alignments, which are really tough to defend because now you've got speed and perimeter shooting and all sorts of stuff there. So yeah, big time, uh, you know, year from Malik Monk. I, you know, he'll definitely be back next year, nine point nine million, and then we'll see where it goes from there. If he has another strong year, then it becomes on the Kings. You know, are his early bird rights going to be enough to get him signed? Two new contract, are they going to have to figure out another way, or is this going to be all right? We got squeezed here, and you know, something's got to give. And unfortunately, maybe that's the one where it gives. But for this upcoming season, yeah, you just bring him back and run your your backcourt the way you did this past year and just keep it rolling. I want to go back to the free agents. You, you hit upon Harrison Barnes in two ways whether they keep him or they let him go and open up some cap space. In your opinion, front office hat on for Keith Smith here. Do you keep Barnes? Does he fit really well with this roster in your opinion? Or do they, do you think they could just do an upgrade and, and move off from him? Cause I know he's been in potential trade rumors for the last few years as well. <laughs> yeah. So. For his entire career since he was right. in the Warriors. Right. Um, you know, somehow too, this is going to be year 12 for Harrison Barnes and he's 31 years old. Like it just feels like he's been in the league for 20 seasons already. I think, because you know, almost from his first years on, he was playing in huge games uh, with that Warriors team. But yeah, I think the Kings bring him back. I think, you know, we saw he didn't, when he got traded there from Dallas, he signed an extension with Sacramento that was uh, fairly team friendly. He, he got paid nicely, but it was a descending contract where it went down year from year to year. I think you could see another type thing. Like I said, he's 31, but keeps himself in great shape, good, valuable, um, you know, two-way player. He's one of their better defenders at the forward spot. I think he's been a kind of an ideal mentor to Keegan Murray um, as he's, you know, figured some stuff out. So I think what you're really looking at here with um, with Barnes is, 
you're you're looking all right you know well what do we want to do do we want to get him on a three or four year deal if we do it's got to be pretty good value for us like especially those further out years as he approaches his mid-30s um but for the next couple years you could also keep it short and you know maybe pay him you know 25 million you know for the next couple seasons or something in that range but yeah i think the kings are going to do what they can to keep him in the fold since we're talking free agents here uh, with Harrison Barnes, are there any other free agents of their own that they should keep going into this offseason or are, should they just move on from them as well? Yeah, Trey Lyles is the guy I would um, do do what I got to do to, to keep in the fold uh, there. I think he was somebody who they, they had been looking for that kind of ideal backup that could play behind Sabonis but also next to him at times. And Lyles did, did a really nice job, uh, you know, in that role. He He's coming off a year where, you know, it, it, it kind of a good litmus test on how many people are watching the Kings is, you know, how good do you think Trey Lyles is? And he, you know, 7.6 points, 4.1 rebounds. Those don't jump off the page at you. So you're like, no, that's only in 16, 17 minutes per game. But 46% from the field, 36% from three, takes a little over three 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 pointers per game. Uh, you know, really, really good player. I think he's somebody you want to try to keep around if you can if you're the Kings. He's also reliable. He's almost always healthy and available to play. So I would do what I can to keep him in the fold because you know, this is just a good, solid player. Um, we'll, we'll, I think he's one of those guys as the big targets come off the board, you're going to see some teams, you know, start to look there. Well, we got to get somebody and Lyles could be somebody that a team could target with their MLE just to kind of bring that guy in uh, there. But you know, he, he's a pretty good player. And then the other guy would say, you need to give at least consideration to is Terrence Davis, uh, just because he's, he's, he's done some solid stuff. He's c- contributes when he's called upon. Um, and he seems to be okay as kind of the fifth guard in a four guard rotation. Uh, just as kind of the break glass type player. And that, that's always a good good thing to have around as well. And he's not someone who's going to break the bank either. All right. A lot of options for them from that standpoint. Uh, the extensions, De'Aaron Fox is extension eligible. I don't foresee them doing that th- with three years remaining on that mm-hmm. contract right now. I think they'll hold off on that. The question I want to go down the road of is Sabonis. He is extension eligible. He has 22 million next season. What are his options with the extension? I'm assuming that he just rides it out and can make more in free agency next year based on the rules. But now with the the new rules of uh, jumping from 120% to 140%, does that even wet the whistle for him? He's like right on the cusp because he's at 22 million for next year because he achieved all of his incentives. So, so that gives him a nice little bump. But the challenge is that only even with the new extension rules, that only brings him up to, you know, 30.8 million, I, I think is what that number would be if my math is correct there. So that's, that's like probably a little too low for a guy who's an all NBA guy. Uh, this past season. So my guess is now let, let me pause there too, because this question gets asked a lot because people hear like, well, Jalen Brown made all NBA and now he is super max. Why is Sabonis not your only, you can only get the super max from the team that drafted you or if you were acquired while on your rookie scale deal. So because he was, he was already on his uh, current contract, which was a second deal uh, when the Kings got him, he, he couldn't be, um, 
cannot they can't give him that super max they they're limited to the regular veteran extension for Sabonis. so 30.8 million that's i mean that's a decent number right it's 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 really not a bad uh number it feels a little low to me i think he's probably just with where everything is going as an all nba guy it's probably closer to the 35 to 40 million range his top out number next season as a free agent projects to be about 43 million so probably just under that max in the 35 to 40 range feels right to me um and my guess is that's what happens they they play this year out now if he has another all nba year and he's terrific you're probably looking at the full max for him starting around that 43 million running out five years in the full max amount but for now, I think it's just they we're we're gonna play this out because I think both sides will get it. It's just a little too light for him to extend on. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. And and it could be a win win if he goes another season, does get another all NBA mm-hmm. and, and goes into free agency. They have his bird rights, so they can entertain as high as they would want to at that point. Yep. So yeah, it, it's a win win, especially if he really likes there, likes being there. And that roster continues to progress to where they are. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see where that contract goes uh, through the next year and a half here. Yeah, um, absolutely. A- anything else we need to know with the Sacramento Kings going into this offseason? The only thing I would say, keep an eye on Sasha Vezenkov, um, who they own his draft rights. He has been playing overseas for Olympiacos in Greece. He was named the EuroLeague MVP. Uh, another forward with good size um you know can, can really shoot it he's a pretty good scorer uh seems very likely he's gonna come over uh to the nba this season um the kings tried to bring him over last year they, they left a chunk of their mle uh carved out to be able to give him but he just got a really nice deal to stay overseas and i think that year of seasoning did him really well now he's a little on the older side he'll be 28 um starting next season so it's not like this is a young uh player coming over for the first time so it's kind of now or never for for him to come over to the nba so so i think you're gonna see him over uh with with the kings and you know stepping right into you know the backup forward rotation behind likely like i said a re-signed barnes and, and keegan murray who keegan murray i'll say this too started slow in his rookie year but really came on strong uh, as the year went along and had some really nice playoff games. He, he's really going to be a good, good player for that team. Kind of do a quick side tangent question here. How often do draft and stash players really work out? Yeah, it's, it's funny. They, they, they don't work out all that often. Cause more often than not, a lot of them never come over. It's just, they, they never develop enough on the, um, on the, uh, european side or i guess i should just say overseas side um so that that's not a not you know where that necessarily goes but what happens is the ones that do work out tend to work out really really well and the kings had one that worked out well and uh bogdan bogdanovich who they um they 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 were not the original team to draft and stash him that was the phoenix suns but they acquired his draft rights much like they did with vezenkov then when they signed him he came over and he really stepped up uh, and played well for them so you know it's um you know i, I think it's really uh you know uh, good, good um you know work when you get it done with that so um you know i think you know this is a spot where this one could end up paying off i don't think he's not gonna be an all-star or anything like that but good solid rotation player on what will probably be a very team-friendly contract i think that's certainly possible awesome good to know 
Moving on to the Phoenix Suns, new head coach coming in. Obviously, we know that they they made a massive trade for Durant, so now you have the Durant plus Booker. If they can stay healthy, combo moving into a full season, uh, they're going to definitely be paying the tax. I guess it's just a matter of how deep that team is going to go into the tax because right now they only have seven players under uh, under contract for this upcoming season. So what is your take of the Phoenix Suns and what they need to do going into the draft, free agency, all of that? Depth, 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 depth. That's all it's about for, for the Suns. You've got the stars in place. There's a lot of stuff out there of, you know, maybe they, they just wave Chris Paul and eat the 15.8 million. Maybe, maybe they move on from DeAndre Ayton. I don't know, but the Ayton thing, that seems maybe a little bit more likely to me than, than anything with Chris Paul. I think, you know, Chris Paul at the very least probably gets one more year uh, back on his current contract and, you know, he'll, he'll roll back in, he'll play probably play well the big thing is you got to have a good solid backup in place campaign it's mixed right because he's had his own injury issues over the last couple of seasons but you know you got to have somebody because i don't know that paul's holding up for a full regular season and then what the sun's hope is a long playoff run but other than that i mean you're starting with kevin durant and devin booker as your centerpieces you're in better shape than you know what all but maybe two or three other teams in the league, if that, because those guys are so good. So maybe they trade Aiton and that's how they rebuild some of their depth around those two guys. And, you know, you break his contract up into two, maybe even three players and, and that's where you go. But, but their depth just wasn't good enough. They, they, they sacrificed a lot in making their moves uh, in this uh, trade deadline period to get Kevin Durant. And now we're in a spot where they, they've just got to be better uh, coming off the bench because it's not like Durant is a lock to play probably more than uh, 60 games on the top end so you got to have somebody who can step in for him on a at least somewhat regular basis and you know, they've got some nice players but but you really got to flush that roster out uh, in, in a big way and their big challenge is they're teetering right on the borderline of probably not even able to use that um, five million dollar taxpayer money so uh, if they can't use that, boy, it's going to be tough to find it because you're down to, to minimum signings at that point. Yeah, you're right. It, seven players and they're only 13.8, 13.9 million of space below that super tax line. So they they definitely are pushing themselves up to there where they're, they're going to be extremely handcuffed and they have almost no one on the roster. So it it. it I don't want to say it's going to be like the the Lakers where it was just uh, minimum guys and uh, using the MLE, but if they don't even get the chance to use the MLE, they they could be massively strapped. And that Chris Paul contract, let's go to that one. Sure, fifteen point eight million guaranteed out of the thirty point eight going into this offseason. Uh, it becomes guaranteed on June twenty eighth, so they would have to make a decision on whether to waive him or not uh, before free agency and the new league year even begins. And then 24, 25 season, it's $30 million, but it's completely non-guaranteed. So do they, what's the better option for them with Chris Paul? Obviously they have more internals to know health wise and all of that, but are they better off if they do waive? Are they better off just eating that fifteen point eight 
all in one lump sum or stretching that out. Yeah, I don't know. Stretching it doesn't really get you anything. Like, it gets you flexibility under the tax line, but it's not going to create cap space. It's not going to create enough uh, flexibility under the tax line to probably even use the full um, the non-taxpayer mid- mid-level. It would get you out of the tax, but it's not it's or it gets you really close i should say at least um but your challenge is you're going to go right back in and over if you use the full non-taxpayer so so that that becomes your challenge if now if you're going to do that in conjunction with hey we got some other money off the books we get somebody to eat landry shamit's contract somehow or something like that well then that becomes a real consideration but i think your better option is just bring him back he's still good right it's not it's like it's like he's terrible all of a sudden and you know fell off i I think you have to have your contingency plans like i said you gotta have a good backup in place for him you gotta be ready to go uh in that respect but i would just bring chris paul back you'll run it out now next off season a year from now i'll be very surprised if if he's on the books at 30 million dollars that would have to be he played really well the team was in the nba finals and they, they want to run it back one more year. Your other challenge with Chris Paul, because I've seen people say, well, just you know, wave him and then sign him to a to a longer contract that adds. He's a, he's up against the over 38 rules. So that that's not really a thing that's going to happen either. So so you're you're in a spot where probably just bring him back. And then then you kind of roll this decision really into next year. Yeah, I think they let it guarantee for the reason of if you do decide to trade him and just throw a first round and maybe a second round in there to splicing up the deal, your 30.8 guaranteed looks way better than a 15.8 guaranteed. If you tried to trade him mm-hmm. right before the, you know, how we see the the trades that happen right before the league year. So if they guarantee that 30.8, then that is that much more of a player or two that they could come back if they throw in a draft pick in there. That is a way that they could help with the depth, 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 as you alluded to right out of the gate with the Phoenix Suns. And you need to make that trade sooner than later, because like we talked about last episode, timing is going to be extremely important with these close to super tax or super tax teams. So they're going to have to make sure that uh, they sort of time it appropriately if they think he can play decently enough to get them to the trade deadline and then maybe have to flip them at the trade deadline because maybe they've done some other moves that have kept them below the super tax line, then, then great. Uh, But this may be a situation where if you want to have depth, that is the salary that you can move off of. And obviously Aiton is the other elephant in the room of you can bring back one or two solid players to help with the depth on that. And maybe his time is just done in uh, Phoenix as well. But yeah, I, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel the Suns do have options. It just depends on what way they want to go. And like you said, the Landry Shamit one, that, that could be someone that comes back at 12 million. That's a solid player. That's an upgrade over him. So uh, but but with Chris Paul, I agree. If he is still on this Phoenix Suns roster through all of next season, it's almost uh, I, I would put it at ninety eight percent that he's not going to see any of that thirty million dollars. 
Yeah, and, and, and I'm not even going to lock in that that means he's definitely gone from the Suns. I mean, who knows? He could retire by then, too, right? He could play this out and be like, yeah, I'm done, and the Suns wave him, and he retires. Or we could see him playing somewhere, anywhere else for, you know, likely, you know, maybe if he's still holding enough value, you know, a chunk of the MLE from somebody or, you know, closing it out on a minimum, just, you know, chasing a ring somewhere. And, and maybe what he does is, hey, wave me. Um, I'll, you know, I'll resign here for far less money. And then we've opened up some flexibility for ourselves here in Phoenix. Cause you know, next going in just, you know, I know we're focused on this off season, but going into that, that 2024, uh, off season, they would have just between Aiton Booker and Durant, a projected 135 million on the books just for those three guys. Now, yeah, the cap is projected to jump to maybe, you know, in the 145-ish range, but you're talking like, you know, then that's a tax of, let's just call it like 180 million. You you don't have a lot of room to, to maneuver there if, if you're the Suns. You're, you're going to be in a spot where you're going to have to make some, uh, you know, real, real decisions um, on how to flesh out this roster because the big thing is the playoffs made it clear. You can't win with just, you know, four uh, star level guys or four, the star is even too tough because Aiden's not really at that level, nor is Paul anymore. But those four guys making up, making so much money with everybody else just kind of being minimum signings. It's, you know, it's just almost kind of another version of what the Lakers were. Um, now, I think this is a little bit better because you can trust on slightly more better track record of health. But it's it's just so hard if you don't build out depth properly around those players. And that needs to be the whole focus for this offseason is how are we going to get you know, better players in here so we can have an eight, nine, 10 man regular season rotation that we can trust to get us through those 82 games. Are there any free agents on their, their current players that are going to be free agents worth a, a dang to bring back to this team? Yeah. I mean, Bismack Biombo is probably a minimum backup center. That's fine. You know, you bring him back. Uh, Tory Craig, I, my guess is he's probably going to want to go elsewhere just after you know falling out of the rotation uh, entirely towards the end of the year. I'm sure he's ready to uh, maybe move on. I like Damian Lee quite a bit. I think he can you know, really shoot the ball. I was surprised he you know, lost so many minutes as, as they were just looking for anybody else who could do anything on, on the floor. Jock Landale is an interesting player, kind of, you know, that's one where if you broke Aiden up into a, like two or three pieces, maybe bring back Biombo and Landale on you know, minimum type deals and feel like, hey, we can kind of get by at the position here because it is the center spot. And then Josh Okoge played really, really well uh, for these guys um, you know, last season, and I think he's another guy. But that one might be where a team might say, oh, you know what, we'll throw him a part of our MLE, and then it's probably he's out of Phoenix's range. Guys like Terrence Ross, T.J. Warren, I, I don't understand why T.J. Warren didn't play more. Um, my, my guess is he's just never really gotten fully back from the foot injury. And then Terrence Ross at this point, it's you, you kind of know what you're getting. He's just a super streaky bench shooter, um, you know, probably a minimum guy from here on out. Campaign, he is extension eligible. He has two million guaranteed out of six and a half million. He's a pretty solid player. You know, he's 
10 points per game, but he plays 20 minutes per game. And is he a player knowing the future outlook of with Durant salaries, Booker salaries, if Aiton is still there? Is, is he one that the Phoenix Suns could get a team-friendly extension out to, to push that a little bit more, to have more consistency in the future on their roster? Or is he one that they they let play out and get to free agency and then deal with it then? Yeah, I think you just let that play out. He hasn't played well enough to earn you know, any kind of extension that would make sense to me uh, for him. I think there's a world where they could potentially, that could be one of the moves where they can save about four and a half million dollars just by waving him. I could see that being the move where, all right, Hey, we, we made one move to get down into range to be able to use, you know, at least the taxpayer MLE. You know, we're going to waive pain, maybe even stretch that 2 million. He's owed, you know, at about you know, 7 million ish a year or so. And then just kind of, kind of move on um, in that direction. Just cause I think, you know, again, good player, but just hasn't, you know, stayed healthy hasn't done enough so I, I think we're in a spot for him where it becomes you know his, a lot of his is tied to Chris Paul right because he is a good solid backup for Chris Paul but I think that turns into you know all right where are we going you know long term and if we can get an upgrade at the point guard spot then that probably puts him in a bit of a nebulous spot all right anything else we need to know about the Phoenix Suns going into the next offseason nope just just Got, got to figure out how you're going to flush out the depth. It's not, this is the problem that sounds great to go trade for Kevin Durant until all of a sudden you gave up two really good players and a bunch of draft picks and, and you don't have the depth behind him. That, that's, that's the tricky part. But if they get the depth right, this is a title contender for sure next season. And I forgot to mention, the one piece that is not on this roster that could be a game changer is the new owner. I mean, he, yeah. could, he could make a crazy move or – you know, go rogue on some other player that he wants to go after trading Aiden. He's the one guy that could pull a string to make this roster uh, fluctuate quite a bit. And that's on me for not mentioning that earlier. No, for sure. I, I think too, you know, right. New coach coming in. We don't know who that is yet. Uh, they haven't hired a coach. So it sounds like they're getting down uh, to it on that. So we'll see where that goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's already, you know, Matt Ispia's uh, fingerprints are all over, you know, the KD trade. We heard he was the one to really push to to make that happen. And the good news for Suns fans is at least he's willing to spend, right? After years and years under one of the cheapest ownerships uh, in the entire NBA, you now have a guy who's like, no, we're going to spend and we're, we're going to do this. So I think you know, that's a huge positive for them as well. All right, that team will be interesting to see going into next uh, next offseason yeah. what they what they do. Uh, moving on to the New York Knicks, uh, they are currently a tax team with what is on their roster, I, but I have to give this team in front office props because uh, it, looking back two, three, four years ago, we were scratching our heads with this team, with the kind of contracts that they were signing, the players that they were bringing in. They were signing these three-year, four-year deals with club options at the back end. <laughs> Everyone was a forward. Right. Yeah, exactly. And we yeah. were all like, what is this team doing? But they've really made some smart moves, in my opinion, uh, You know, making sure they locked up Randall, even though he was – Iffy the previous year, this year he really stepped it up, bringing in the Jalen Brunson, 
Uh, we saw R.J. Barrett take another step. Mitchell Robinson is a solid player for that team. They made the trade for Josh Hart. Uh, quickly made a name for himself really in this playoffs. Uh, so I, I really like where this roster, let me rephrase that. I really like what the front office has done with this roster from a minimalistic standpoint. They don't have any guys that are way overpaid uh, up into the 30, $40 million. They, they just have solid players that want to play and they seem to work really well together and Brunson fit in really well with this roster. Um, so, so my question is they have 15 players under contract right now. So, so what areas of need do the New York Knicks really need to focus on going into this off season? Yeah. I, and I, I so I'm going to start that by laying the, the things out a little bit. I think Josh Hart opts out of his deal. Um, it becomes a free agent. He's got the weird uh, deal where he can opt in, but his contract then becomes uh, completely fully non-guaranteed. Um, so his player option date is one of the earlier ones. It's it's June 24th with a fully guaranteed date of June 25th. So that's like right on the heels of the draft, a, a few days out of free, free agency opening. Um, that's as close as we to, could get in the NBA to one of those uh, MLB mutual options. Uh, that they have where he can opt in and the team can still move on if they want to. But I think we're going to see him opt out, become a free agent. The Knicks are going to do what they have to, to get him re-signed. They, they made an investment to trade for him. They traded a first round pick. So I think you're going to definitely see him re-sign from there. Then it becomes, there's two paths you can take, right? Do you decline Derek Rose's $15.6 million team option and let him go into free agency and probably leaves. And in, in, in no real uh, environment is Derrick Rose worth $15.6 million for next season as a player. But what you could also do is you could pick that up and then you've got him and Evan Fournier combined. That's over, you know, you're in the range of $34, $35 million of matching salary in a trade that that could be something that goes and lands you a pretty big upgrade. Now, what do they need? Just more consistency on the wing, I, I think, you know, is, is really where you want to go. Center spot is fine. You've got Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, they're they're terrific. Your point guard spot, obviously you're fine with Jalen Brunson. You've got good wings in Barrett and Hart and Emmanuel quickly. Um, but just one more kind of consistent guy who can come in and give you what Fournier was supposed to do, I think would be huge. The challenge is it's got to be the right guy or Tibbs just won't play him. Right. Cause we know he's going to pick his eight, nine guys. And that's going to be it. That's going to be his rotation. And that's going to be how it runs. Uh, and those guys are going to, you know, the main guys are all going to play 38, 39, 40 minutes per game. So that's, that's your other challenge. You've got to make sure he's on board with whoever it is, because otherwise you've just kind of wasted trade assets to go get somebody to just sit on the bench. And you might as well have kept the guys to sit on the bench to do that anyway. Yeah, and the fact that you can group them together, they have a, a slew of picks that they can use mm -hmm. to help acquire or if they needed – a team wanted to eat Fournier's contract, you could throw in a, a pick because they have like four potential picks the only in the challenge, first round. It, sorry to interrupt you, Scott, but the only yep. challenge with that is those picks, there's a lot of them for sure, but some of them aren't very good. Like it's it's a you know Detroit pick that is you know heavily protected – um, over the next couple of seasons, there's a Washington pick that is uh, you know, 
pretty heavily protected um, that that they're owed. So th- those are a little bit of the challenges. You know, like for example, the Detroit pick is protected. Is uh, they only get it if it's nineteen to thirty. So mm-hmm. you're you basically are the Pistons going to be a playoff team next year? Yeah, that's probably pretty questionable. The, the Washington pick, it's top twelve protected. So it's either going to be they're they're a playing team uh, and make it you know further. So you know protection slide a little bit on those uh coming up but it's just you know that's just one thing you know with that just the one and then the dallas pick that they're obviously owed that's a uh, top 10 protected but what i think you do there is if you want to make a move kind of what they how they got those picks in the first place you're kind of overwhelmed with the volume right it's hey you want all three of these you want the dallas detroit and washington pick and maybe one of them pops for a team then i think that's the direction you could go with that yeah, and they're they're a team that if they get that right person to come in, that could be the next level for them to get yeah. from the the seed that they were to get into that next upper tier if everything can hit. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see what the front office does. They they've kind of slow played their roster construction for the last few years and it may be now's the time to go. However, with that being said, looking at their multi-year view on, on spot track, uh, 24, 25, they don't have much locked up. I mean, they have Randall Brunson, Barrett and Mitchell, and then a, a club option with Fournier if he ends up still being on this roster, but their roster gets very slim quickly because of how they've uh, structured their, their, their contracts. So the next place I want to go to is the first round rookies, Obi Toppin, Emmanuel quickly. They're now extension eligible for their rookie extensions. Once this off season hits. So do either of those, um, do you think either of those players end up getting an extension? And if so, what's the ballpark market value for those two? Yeah. I think quickly is probably going to and it's probably gonna be a number that maybe shocks some people but again we gotta think go through all of these as a reframing of where the cap is going right so it's you know i I think he's probably gonna get somewhere between 80 and 100 million over four years um is very likely for quickly and i think that will go into that uh you know spot there where it'll be all right that's gonna be you know a really good number uh for him and i don't know that that'll be a you know, ever turn into a bad number. And it's weird because in that first year, there's a world where he could make more than Jalen Brunson makes right now. Now that would be, you know, shocking to some extent, but also it's just kind of where we're headed with this. Jalen Brunson is already uh, immediately turned into one of the better value contracts in the entire NBA um, with, with what the Knicks signed him for. So I think he gets extended Toppins in just such a tough spot. I think they'd love to have him extend but it would have to be so team friendly that I don't think it makes sense for him. I, I don't even know that the like Brandon Clark, 12 and a half million type extension is going to be enough. If I was top and I think I'd rather bet on myself, you know, maybe an injury happens and I become kind of the guy and I you know, get a ton of minutes or maybe I'm traded somewhere and I get a ton of minutes and now I can, you know, kind of cash in. Cause there's a ton of talent there. I think he's really, really good. His problem is he's, he's, Basically, Thibodeau will not play him 
with Julius Randle ever. So he's limited to the 10 minutes a night behind Julius Randle. And, you know, occasionally when Randle needs to miss a game, uh, then he gets to, you know, play 30 plus minutes. But for the most part, that's, that's it. That's his role. So I think for him, it might be one where it's, you know, Hey, you're going to have to either pay me more than you're comfortable with on the Knicks side, or, you know, I'm just going to play this thing out and hit restricted free agency a year from now. I mean, is there a, a, a chance that he is a player that could get grouped with another player to be traded as a piece yeah. since the minutes aren't there and he, he's not getting the playing time. Yeah, I think so. Cause I think you could put like him and Fournier together and now you get over 25 million in matching salary in a trade. And what, what I would want to do if I'm another team, let's get that done. So then I can sign him to an extension, right? Like I, like, like if I'm a team that's acquiring him, I can go make that happen, and I can be the one to say, "All right, you know, I want to get that done, and I want to get him locked up with us because we're a believer, and he fills a need, and you know X, Y, and Z for for them." So that's that's one that I would definitely be looking to do if I was another team. I would want to get that done sooner rather than later. Right, because of the trade restrict or the yeah. extension restriction, and a certain amount of time after he's been traded, you can't have yeah. the extension, correct? Yeah, well, it's it's because it's a rookie scale. You can always do it. But his big thing would be it, it's got to be done before the season starts. So Correct. It, so if he's traded in season, you're basically then it's fully playing out to, to yep. restricted free agencies. And that's not the end of the world. Like they could take this into the year a team could acquire him and still be in basically the same spot. But I would rather, you know, if I'm a team and I really want Obi Toppin, let's get this done, you know, in the beginning part of July so then I can extend it myself and, and move on in that direction. Yeah, it's rare to see a team like this where a lot of their contracts are between the nine to twenty-four ish million dollars, and you really have a lot of options that you could do, like mm-hmm. we've talked about. I mean, Derek Rose, like you mentioned, if they do exercise that, yeah, it's almost sixteen million dollars that could be in matching if someone wanted to take that on and move them off. So they have. They have quite a bit of flexibility from their roster standpoint that they can do a couple different moves depending on what Tibbs wants to bring in or what would fit well on this roster. So it's going to be fun to see where they go from here after like a off the top I did with this team. It was a head scratcher three or four years ago on what are they doing and now it's sort of coming to fruition and they've targeted the right players and young players are really starting to come into their own. So it's going to be fun and interesting to see this Knicks team. Yeah, without a doubt. I think the other thing I would just throw into is there's it's going to buzz because he's just he's kind of the third, maybe fourth guy on the roster, and he, he's making a decent chunk of money. There's going to be a ton of buzz around R.J. Barrett trades just because that's an easy place to go to, right, where I think people look at it and say, yeah, you know, we can toss, you know, R.J. Barrett in a trade with, you know, maybe some of those picks. They've got their own picks going forward. So so it really does start to become, could become a, well, most of their own picks, I should say. So you kind of get into a spot where it is like, you know, yeah, th- this could be a, uh, you know, thing where, all right, let's, let's, you know, maybe make an R.J. Barrett trade happen they they've they've just got a lot of different directions they can go in um and that's not usually that common for a team that's in this spot you know where they're they're a pretty established playoff team with some pretty good talent generally a lot of times you're you're a little bit more stuck it's kind of a lot more kind of what you see is what you get maybe some moves around the edges they've got some some salaries that are sitting there like fournier for 
pretty good salary number at 18.8 million for a guy who doesn't really play that's easily put into you know combined with any number of options on their team and you know now all of a sudden you're in a spot where hey now we can really do some stuff and that's that that's a fun place to be if you're a Knicks fan all right anything else with the New York Knicks going into this offseason that we haven't talked about no I don't think so I just I guess you know don't count them out I I don't know that we're going to see any massive mega trade out of them but it feels like you know they 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 know as weird as this sounds you're kind of already on the clock with Jalen Brunson because you know you've got this year coming up then you've got one more year then it's already he can be a free agent and he's probably not going to be on as good a value contract the next time around so so that's where it starts to become like all right let's let's maybe try to make something happen here sooner rather than later but yeah fun fun team and you know what wouldn't surprise me if they made a big move all right I know, like I said, this is two podcasts this week. We talked about, we posted the the Brooklyn Nets. What is the next piece that we're going to have to post this week? Yeah, uh, let me find that list here. Uh, On the site, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves will be coming up. Uh, Then we'll get into the Clippers and the Cavs, and then it'll be the teams that we talked about uh, this week in the two shows, uh, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix, New York. Uh, And then, then we're all the way you know, uh, moving into the, the, the teams that were bounced, um, you know, later in the second round, the Warriors and Sixers. So we're, we're halfway there uh, now. And the, the other half are going to come fast and furious. We've got some other fun stuff coming. I'll do my uh, annual. Uh, we talked about a couple of them here on this episode, but annual rookie scale uh, extension predictions, um, which you know, pat myself on the back. I, I did okay with last year uh, with, with those. Um, so we'll do that. Uh, but we'll have some more free agency stuff coming and including we've got all of our free agent uh, stuff on there with all of our positional rankings, but some overall uh, rankings and the likes. So a lot, lot of fun stuff uh, coming here in the next little bit. Definitely is a lot, lot coming in the NBA overall. I mean, we're already, uh, what, three weeks out from the, the draft here, a Crazy. month out from <laughs> free agency. Uh, the finals are beginning. So we've got a lot going on. We're, we're going to be keeping up. With the Joneses here, with the NBA salaries, transactions, all that good stuff. So, if you're looking to find out more information, he's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. For Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next podcast.